This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 208. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Joining me to talk about the juggernaut Cincinnati Reds, seven wins in their last nine games from Reds minor leagues, Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? I'm pretty good. How you doing, Chad? Didn't you hear how excited I got just now? You know how I'm doing. Oh, that's true. I mean, it, it it's hard to feel, I don't know, non-excited right now. The Reds are playing well for the first time all season, and I, I mean, I, it, it's brought renewed energy back to my life, so... Yeah, I mean they put themselves in a ridiculous hole, but uh, we don't all, we don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about the good things, Chad. The good things. Exactly, and uh, and the truth of the matter is we're going to be watching them every day anyway. So uh, you know I'll take what I can get, and right now they are playing a more exciting brand of baseball, more uh, interesting, more fun to watch. Um, we're recording this podcast. I got I have to note this at the top off the top. A day later than usual, we usually uh, record it on Thursday and then get it posted. So everyone has it on Friday by Friday morning, and, and we're a day late because of some obligations I had. I wasn't able to record last night, and I appreciate everyone on Twitter le- letting me know. I guess we're not going to have a podcast this week. Um, we are just a, one day late. That's all. I guess we've got well, people. Trained. People were excited to hear about what we want to what we want to say about the Reds. They're playing well. They're they're ready. And really, really excited to hear all of the good things we've got to say. That's what's going on. Well, the truth of the matter is, uh, most of the podcasts that we've done this year have been sort of depressing. And now all of a sudden the Reds start playing well and we have this uh, situation with conflicts where we uh, can't get it recorded on, on the regular day. So of all times for us to have to delay it by one day, it's right now when we do want to talk about the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> Seven wins in nine games. And for me, the, the greatest thing about it was they went out west for my whole life, I remember the Reds going out west and getting slaughtered. They go out on this West Coast road trip, go 5-2, and two, sweep the defending National League champion Dodgers in Los Angeles in a four-game series. I mean, it's just, uh, where did that come from? I mean, I, I think there's really only one answer. Matt Harvey. Oh, hashtag Matt Harvey era. It's the best era of Reds baseball ever. Oh, ever. Probably ever. I mean, I don't remember anywhere past, like, the last nine days, but probably ever. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no other time in, in Reds baseball history where they won more games in, out of nine than right now, right? Uh, I'm sure that has to be true. He's the, Yeah. I think he's probably also the second best uh, Reds pitcher of the last, we'll say, 25 years. Second best. You agree with that? Um, maybe third, but only because he's only made two starts so far. You're out of your mind. He's the second best. Who do you have ahead of him? Well, I mean, I know who you have ahead of him, but I was also going to maybe throw Johnny Cueto in there. Cueto? But, Get but out yeah, of here. How do you I, remember I, him? I know. I'm crazy. I'm sorry. I take it all back, everybody. My bad. Chad, who do you have number one? Oh, there's, there's, there's only one person that's better than Matt Harvey. Lisa Alberto Bonilla. 
Oh, you you teed that up for me well, Doug. I appreciate that. I, I, I'm doing my best here. <laughs> I'm I trying really to get. Am. I'm trying to get it out of the way early in the podcast. That way we can actually do some actual uh, discussion of of the team. But seriously, I mean, they were not playing well, um, and and they're still you know uh, they're still the Reds when you look in the wins and loss columns. When you look at the standings, they're in last place, but they have a winning record in May. They have won seven or nine, and and that Dodger series. How much fun was that? Uh, it, it was pretty fun for me. Um, I mean, obviously, I, you always like seeing winning Reds baseball, but, I mean, they just, of course they were playing well. They won, but I feel like they're they're getting closer and closer to the team that they, they thought they were going to be coming out of spring training. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody thought they were going to be as bad as they actually turned out to be in April. Um yeah, you, I think that I think this is probably the team that you know realistically the Reds were hoping for. Well, that's something that that's a point I was planning on making, and uh, you're exactly right. This is a lot closer to the team that we were you know kind of excited to see out of spring training. I think that uh, you know uh, there are serious criticisms to be uh, had and and to be made, and we've done that the last few weeks on the podcast. Um, and I think the last time you and I were on here together, we went on a, a few rants. Uh, about the way they constructed the roster so that they weren't able to overcome any injuries and then refusing to bring the, the top 25 guys to Cincinnati. But the other hand is uh, some guys are healthy now, but for the most part, and we're a little closer to what they thought they would be. And what we're seeing is, you know, they're more competitive. It's not the team that's getting destroyed. And uh, so it, so if nothing else, maybe we've got the next four and a half months of a team that's at least going to be interesting to watch. And that's really all I'm asking for at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's tough to really sit back and watch what happened in April, and I mean, you just you it's hard to even find small bright sides when when you're playing that poorly. And I, I think that right now, and hopefully moving forward, assuming you know, I think if everybody stays healthy, we're going to see you know a competitive brand of baseball. You know, I I don't think they're going to make some run and you know go out and compete for the wild card. They put themselves in way too much of a hole for that, but. Moving forward, I, I think that realistically, we should expect to see competitive baseball out of them. And hopefully, we see some of the younger guys step up a little bit more than they have so far. But what's really stuck out to me is I really like what's going on in the bullpen right now. And they're still not even at full strength. You know, Michael Lorenzen, he's on his way back right now. And I think that if they get him back, they'll have the bullpen that they envisioned. And it's, it's pitching really, really well right now. That that's what's been really fun for me to watch. Hopefully they don't get overtaxed because I, I do think that some of the starting pitching, I mean, even even when they've been winning recently, it's been pretty inconsistent. We, we saw what happened last year. Uh, the bullpen pitched pretty well early on, and then it just seems like it all caught up with them with just the the sheer amount of usage that they had. You start talking about last year's bullpen, and you're, it's like you're trying to get me to say uh, that guy's name again. Um, but you're right. The, the Reds' current bullpen is uh, I guess that's really the one area in the offseason that Dick Williams and company uh, really tried to improve. And we were frustrated about the lack of improvement or lack of attempt to improve in any other area. That's one they did, and I think both of us, I'm pretty sure you did. I was pleased with the signings of David Hernandez and Jared Hughes out of the bullpen. I thought they worked well for Great American Ballpark. And with a rotation that has some talent, and we'll get to the, to the young guys in a moment, but they're young guys that you would expect to maybe not go deep in games all the time. So you're going to need a good bullpen. And we saw last year what happens when you don't have a good bullpen and the year before. 
So uh, I'm, I'm pleased. I think when they get Lorenzen back, it's going to be good. The one thing about the bullpen, we might as well just go ahead and uh, hit this one up right now, is that one of the best pitchers in the bullpen, and just he's been lights out, and I love watching him pitch out of, out of the bullpen, but I want to see him start in games too, and that's Amir Garrett. Uh, Amir Garrett said this week, and, and the, we've sort of thought this for a while, that he likes being in the bullpen. He's not asking to move, and the Reds are probably not going to move him then. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on Amir Garrett in the bullpen where he's dominant versus what he could be in the starting rotation? I mean, I'm with you. I, I would rather see Amir Garrett get starts than be put in the bullpen. I think that at age 26 right now, if you're going to commit him to the bullpen this year, given what you've got in the rotation and kind of what's coming up behind him, if he doesn't get starts this year, he's not going to ever start again. And that would be a shame for me to see, but I also understand where they're coming from to an extent in keeping him in the bullpen. He's having a ton of success. And last year, I mean, he let's be honest, he was not good at all as a starting pitcher. Now, there were extenuating circumstances. Amir Garrett was not healthy last year. We didn't know it at the time. The Reds eventually found out. Um, and, you know, he, he got treatment on his hip over the winter. And, I mean, he looks like a very different pitcher right now. Um, I think that some of that probably has to do with being healthy. But I think some of it probably has to do with, you know, he can let it go for one to two innings rather than trying to have to pace himself thinking he might go six or seven innings on a given night. Yeah, his fastball is more than four miles an hour faster this year than it was last year as a starter. So, I mean, obviously his stuff plays up when he's able to just air it out. And, and I love watching him. i, I got no, no issues with him as a reliever except that I just don't understand. Out of this group of young pitchers, you, you said you can sort of see what the Reds are doing, and I hope you'll help to uh, sort of elucidate it for me because I see out of all these young pitchers, Garrett is really the oldest one of them. And so – He's the guy that should be at the top of the list to, to see if this guy can start this year. When the Reds are already out of the race, let's see if he can start. Because if he can't, we'll just move him back to the bullpen. He, you know, it's fine. He, we, we know he can pitch in the bullpen. He'd be able to do that after he failed as a starter, you would presume. I just He's the oldest one of the group, and I would like to see, to have seen if he could take that step forward to be a successful starter. And if... The Reds are basing this decision on Garrett's preference. If that's like a primary consideration that Garrett prefers the bullpen, I got some problems because we keep seeing it. You know, we just keep seeing it. Uh, it goes back to uh, Araldus Chapman, and I just I'm not going to be on board with that uh, unless they were to use him creatively two and three innings at a time out there in the bullpen, something like that, to get his innings total up. He could still be an effective reliever, but I just I don't understand what they're doing, and I don't agree with it based on the information that I have, which is admittedly not as much information as the Reds have. Yeah, I think that you're right in the in the sense that if they're basing it on Amir having a preference of being in the bullpen, I'm 100% with you that that's, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'll say that I'm saying this, it's a very dumb decision. Yeah, I mean, that, that if, can, that can that, go into the calculation, what, he, what yeah. he desires, but that should not be the primary consideration. It, it really shouldn't be because you know, they need to make decisions based on the long-term good for the organization. And, I mean, if, if we're going to start basing things on what everybody wants, generally speaking, most relievers want to be starters, and they just can't be. Whereas with a guy like Amir, you can see where he could be a starter. He's always been a starter, realistically. And um, had success. 
at times. Yeah, it, it, when, when he's been healthy, he's been a very successful starting yes. pitcher. Unfortunately, the one time he was in the major leagues, he wasn't healthy. So you, you don't really know how much of his struggles were because his hip wasn't good. But I, I feel comfortable saying a lot of them probably had something to do with the hip. Because he just he just didn't look the same as the guy that I saw in double A AA and triple A in the in the past two years. Like it was just a completely different guy. So from from where I'm sitting, I think that a lot of that had to do with his hip. Um, but I, I will say this much, Chad. In the long term or in the long run, Aroldis Chapman did eventually come out and say he wanted to relieve. But for like three years there, when he was relieving in the major leagues, he kept saying he wanted to start, and they still kept him in the bullpen. Yeah, that's true. So, I, like I, I don't know if they're always letting that happen, but uh, that, that's fair. That's fair, and and I think Dusty, you know, and we can say oh, lots I of have, good things about I Dusty. Absolutely, I absolutely yeah. believe that that was a Dusty Baker call. Yeah, it was. It, it, both in terms of Baker wanted him at the back of the bullpen because he had the sort of this old school belief in the how closers are, are so important, and they can be important, but. They're not as important as a lot of people used to think, and also in, also in the sense that I'm, I can see that he probably exerted some influence over uh, Chapman in terms of what Chapman says he wanted, and uh, Chapman ended up making a lot of money as a closer, a great one. I still think that he could have made a lot more money as a starter, but uh, it is what it is. Chapman had a great career. Um, Chapman's also a good chapter in a uh, book that's out now about the Reds. Have you heard about this book, Doug? You know, I, I have a copy sitting on my other desk right now. Uh, there's there's some guy on the cover named Chris Garber, oh. and there's there's some other guys. I can't remember the other guy's name. He's not not really important. No, but I don't know it's, the other it's guys, a, but it's a fantastic book that you guys should really check out. Do you do you happen to know the name of it? I do, but let me say Chris Garber is the reason to buy it. Just an incredible author, just amazing. Yeah, the other guy, forgettable. Uh, his chapters you can probably skip. I'm not going to tell you which ones those are that he wrote. Although they really collaborated on all of them. But anyway, the name of the book is The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds. Available everywhere now. Go and uh, go and uh, purchase it. You know, was, I was at a, uh, a high school softball game tonight, of all things, and someone brought a book for me to sign. That, that was really, that's a sort of weird thing. I, I don't get it. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> oh, but, uh, but, it, but it's nice. It, it's got to be nice, right? I mean, one, that means somebody bought the book. Yeah, that that's was the guy. Always, that's always yeah, that's the guy. That was not the guy. I've also got one that uh, I paid for. So there's at least two of us. I appreciate that, Doug. That you, you did that, Ed. Uh, no, it is. It's it's it's. I've really been. I worried that the Reds' uh, bad start this year would sort of depress sales and things like that. We're not really seeing a lot of that because uh, the way I've been putting it to people is that I just I think this is such a passionate fan base. And we've talked about this a little bit. I think you've had this conversation with Zach Buchanan, who used to be the Reds' uh, beat writer, and maybe with Trent Rosecrans as well. And Zach's out there with the, the Diamondbacks again. But uh, just the level of passion of, from Reds fans, as opposed to what he sees among Diamondbacks fans, who don't have this sort of generational love for this uh, team that's that's handed down. So I've been gratified by the response to the book on that in that sense because, man, this fan base – Sometimes crazy, but that's it's all born of passion. Actually, often crazy, but it's born they're, of passion. They're not called f- fans for for nothing. It's we're we're all we're all crazy. It's like, true. Uh, <laughs> and and, and I, don't you find it, the Reds fans are just they're passionate, man. They they really are, and I mean I think there's a lot to do with just the history in the city, but I think that Cincinnati generally just I I, I hesitate to say this, but they do baseball the right way. Um, 
except for that part about winning baseball games. I, I did, that's why I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I was I was trying to find my words to not say that. Yeah, you're right though. I mean, I know I know what you're saying, I, and I agree. It's a it's just a unique place when it comes to baseball. And these passionate fans deserve a good team, and I don't know. I'm hopeful we're going to see that at some point soon. All right, let's you and me both. <laughs> yeah, really, make things a lot easier, no doubt. Um, well, since I plugged my book, we're going to have to just uh, plug RedsMinorLeagues.com here before we move on. That's Doug's uh, fabulous website where he talks about, uh, get this, he talks about the Reds Minor Leagues. So, really, you picked a good good uh, URL for that site, I, Doug. I, I did. <laughs> I, uh, it took me a long time to figure it out, but, you know, when it, when it, it just came up, and I was like, that makes sense. I hope people can spell leagues. That's I, that. That was the biggest concern. Oh, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I hope you'll go in and read everything, Doug. And I know a lot of you already are reading what Doug's doing over there. And of course, he writes uh, at Red Leg Nation once a week as well, which are, is very much appreciated. Generally, the best written piece at Red Leg Nation every week. And uh, and Doug mentioned that he uh, purchased my book. I, I want to encourage everybody to do as I've done. I'm a subscriber to Doug's uh, Patreon, and maybe you can just briefly describe what that is, Doug, uh, to help uh, support all the great work he's doing. Uh, I mean, right now, uh, during the season, pretty much you, you sign up at Patreon, you get an email every morning, and it just gives you the rundown on pretty much what happened in every game the night before. It's got extended notes that you're not going to get on the website, but um, during the season, that's mostly what you get. Um, during the off season, you get all the scouting reports and stuff on about the top 100 prospects in the system, and you just get early access to stuff that's going to go up on the site eventually, but uh, you get it a couple days before everybody else. And it's just a way to keep me... You know, able to keep my lights on and keep writing about minor league baseball instead of going out and getting a real job and not having the time to go out and do all this fun stuff. What's well, a little discussion we had on Twitter with a couple of uh, our friends, uh, including one who likes when I say, my buddy Amy, who likes when I say, Feliz Alberto Ambornia. Don't we all like when you say that, though? <laughs> no, I, I think we do. I feel like nobody <laughs> likes that. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, it's a way to go to support Doug. Uh, what we, the conversation we were having on Twitter was just, you know, people put out uh, content. I like good writers. You know, I want to buy their books if they're a good writer. I want to, you know, pay for uh, magazines if, if it has good writing. And, you know, baseball writing should not be any different just because it's on the Internet. And uh, I'm happy to, to subscribe uh, there to help support you, Doug. And I, hope, I want to encourage everybody to go do that because um, at these, this day and age, the Reds minor leagues might be the most exciting uh, part of this organization. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. There are some exciting things going on right now. Taylor Trammell just homered for Daytona. Um, I, if you don't know about Taylor Trammell, oh, um, just find out about him. RedsMinorLeagues.com, by the way. <laughs> I was um, going to ask, but, where could you go to find out about him? But he, he's, he's a really exciting player, guys. and uh, He's out to a great start in Daytona, and... I, I I don't think we're going to see him this year, but I, I think we could see him next year. And I mean, he might be that next guy that comes up and is is, is a real difference maker. Quick question about Taylor Trammell. Two quick questions, and just you can give very short answers. Where is he going to be, end up playing in the field in the majors, and how soon are we going to see him? Most scouts think he's more of a left fielder. I think he can handle center. Now, whether he plays center or not may not be up to him because somebody may get there first. Uh, probably Jose Series, the guy that would keep him out of center yeah. field. I, I think that a realistic timeline for Taylor Trammell in the majors is the second half of next year. Oh it, it could be sooner, depending on exactly how he does this year, but I think realistically, second half next year. Although the Reds don't have a history of really pushing guys quickly, but uh, that would be fantastic. And, and if he could stick in center field, that would be fantastic, because 
you know, his kind of bat, his kind of athleticism uh, out of the center field spot. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm dreaming here. What about this? Have we talked about Shed Long as a center fielder? I think we talked about that last time you were here. That's my dream. I, I feel like we have, and I think that it might just continue to have to be a dream. It might. I just uh, He may be blocked. I worry. I think he could be a, a big leaguer. But anyway, let's get back to the current Cincinnati Reds. There's a guy I want uh, to talk right. to you about. And we've already mentioned him, but I do want to talk more specifically about Matt Harvey. And Matt Harvey, of course, came over in the trade from New York, uh, <laughs> sort of the celebrated uh, the dark night of Gotham, and uh, who just was amazing as a 23-year-old, started the uh, All-Star game, and just he was one of the legit aces in baseball. And then I'm not going to recount uh, his fall from grace, but he, it got to the point where he was traded for a backup catcher. And uh, good first start for the Reds against Los Angeles, four strong innings. Uh, uh, no runs, and then his second start, you know, uh, was not good early on. Uh, spotted a four-run lead, and then immediately gave two of them back, uh, you know, and he ended up uh, only going, I think, four innings. But he finished up with his last, uh, I think he struck out five of the last six or something like that. He um, recorded more swing and miss pitches than he's recorded in a, a game in, I don't know, years. I mean, uh, so he he was not good, but he also showed – some good things so uh, you know where are we on matt harvey and should we have any expectations at all i guess that's my question for you doug gray i I don't have many expectations to be honest Uh, it's been a long time since he's been good i'm hopeful but hope doesn't really do a lot for me and but he doesn't have to be good necessarily he just has to be passable for the rest to get something for him at the trade deadline he he doesn't have to be good but I mean, if we're looking at his his past history, the last two years, he's got to be a significantly better version of that just to be passable. I don't think that it's impossible. I've seen some things that I've liked in his two starts with Cincinnati. There may have been stuff that he did in New York that, you know, would change my mind on that. But I didn't watch those, to be honest. I'm not a Mets fan, so why would I watch those? Um, MetsMinorLeagues.com. Go check it out today. (laughs) No. Well, uh, I have to go buy that domain right now. So uh, redirect you, it to yours. You owe me. You owe me eleven dollars. <laughs> we'll all do uh, that. But no, I. I hope for the best. Obviously, I'm a Reds fan. I, I want them to do well on this. But I, I think that they're the expectation that he could be good. I I I don't I don't want to I don't want to hitch my horse to that one. I guess that's. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's a long shot. Yeah. It's not impossible because he's had success before. His sliders look pretty good. His velocity's down, but it's sort of up from where it's been in the somewhat recent past. So, you know, I don't know. I, I it's uh, someone described it like a lottery ticket. You know, Devin Miserocco, the is who the Reds traded. I love Devin. Uh, you know, feel bad for the way things ended up in Cincinnati. I'll be rooting for him the rest of his career, however long that lasts. Uh, just one of my favorite guys. A guy that's been on the podcast here a couple times. And and, but the Reds couldn't couldn't have expected to get a whole lot out of him anyway, so you take a flyer on a guy like this, and my first thought was what what are they doing? But then I, I thought about it, I was like well, if he can just be decent, some team's going to take a flyer on him at the trade deadline, and, and and the Reds would likely if he's just decent get more out of him than they would have gotten out of Devin Mazzarocco at the trade deadline. If that doesn't happen, they've just given up a guy that wasn't going to be around next year anyway, and it's no harm, no foul. So it's sort of, 
it's sort of a situation where it's you know, no lose. And so, and what I've seen the first two outings, and again, we're talking a small sample size, and he's not pitched deep into games, and he's had some times where he looked bad, but he has shown me that he has a little bit of ability still there if he'll get his head on straight, get focused, and, and maybe this is the wake-up call he needed to, you know, just be an average pitcher. If he's an average pitcher, the Reds deal him for something useful, I think. Yeah, I, I really like the lottery ticket example because Devin Mesoraco was the same thing, except for the odds were much larger on Devin Mesoraco because no matter what happened, he wasn't going to play. Right. Tucker Barnhart is the starting catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Devin Mesoraco was not going to get the opportunity to show much with the Cincinnati Reds. Matt Harvey, on the other side, they're going to give him the opportunity. It's, it, it's going to happen. There's more chances for him to show that he's got something left. And if he does do something, then there's going to be enough there to make someone believe. Whereas if Devin Mezzarocco is hitting 300, but he's got, you know, 85 at-bats, does that really matter? No one's going to be like, oh, well, we're trading for a 300 hitter uh, because, you know, he, there's, yeah. there's, not a, there's not a big enough sample there to actually buy into this is who he is. Versus if Matt Harvey pitches between now and July 30th, and he puts up a four ERA. That's enough time for people to see him and go, "Yeah, this is this. He's made a change. This is who he is now." Whatever. Like, the the odds are just much better on that on the Matt Harvey lottery ticket for the Cincinnati Reds than they were on the Devin Mezzarocco lottery ticket. It, it's it's tough to lose on this situation because if he's bad, they can just they can just cut him. Yeah. And they're out nothing. But if he's good or decent or anything in between, they win. Yeah. No questions asked. And I feel bad. I shouldn't. I feel bad saying if they, you know, they're out nothing when they're, they're out a guy like David Mezzarocco, who was an all-star and looked like a future star for this team. But it's a fact. That's where we are at this point. And you know, if there were a young pitcher that I thought was, and I do think Amir Garrett would fit this bill, but since he's not going to be a starter this year, if there were a young pitcher that I thought was beating down the door to take that uh, rotation spot from Matt Harvey. I might have more questions here. If Robert Stevenson had gone to Triple A to start the year, or if Cody Reed had gone to Triple A to start the year, and just uh, you know blown the doors off the place and pitched like we've seen both those guys pitch at different times in the past, and we're ready to have a, a, a real shot on the big league level, I'd be like, what are they doing? You know, it's, it's you're wasting starts you could be given to someone else. But maybe I'm wrong. If if you take Amir Garrett out of the mix. I don't see anyone else that the Reds really need to give that. I mean, unless they want to go sign that guy I keep mentioning to make some spot starts. But um, I'm pretty sure he's under contract with another team right now. So, eh, whatever. He'll come back. He knows that he's my favorite pitcher. <laughs> He'll come back just for you. Just for me, Lisa. Okay, no, I'm not going to do it this time. But, <laughs> but I mean, does that make sense? I, I don't see anyone beating down the door to take that fifth spot in the rotation right now. Um, and that's leaving Homer Bailey entirely out of this conversation. But uh, does that make sense, what I'm trying to say there? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement, assuming that they're not going to give that shot to Amir Garrett. Would you give it to Stevenson or Reed right now, just because this is a year no. where we're trying to learn? No, not right now. Not. I, I like both of those guys. Um, I think they both have big league stuff. But right now, I'm just not seeing enough consistency out of either one of them in AAA to think that they could – get it done in the major leagues and not just absolutely kill your bullpen every other time through the through the rotation. I don't get it because I, both those guys, I think, have some of the best stuff 
in the Reds' entire organization. To me, I mean, what do I know, which is nothing. Um, and now people are checking out. They're turning off their podcasts. <laughs> but uh, I watch those guys at times, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, how does he do that? You know, Stevenson especially. I mean, that guy just, he's got stuff that is unhittable when he can, you know, command it. So, but you wouldn't, I wouldn't either, but you wouldn't give either of those guys a shot right now. No. And, you know, Robert Stevens is actually pitching tonight, or he was. They're in a rain delay in Louisville. And, I mean, he's, he's looked good tonight. He has. But we, we've seen Robert Stevenson look good for, you know, a start or two before. And then, you know, that third timeout, he goes out and he'll walk five guys in two innings. I, I just I just need to see more consistency from him before yeah. I'm ready to to hand him the ball in major leagues again. Well, does it, does at, it at least as a starter? Yeah. Does this concern you that this this article is written in the Louisville Courier Journal this week where Stevenson it sounded to me like he was essentially saying, "I know the Reds want me to throw strikes. I don't think giving up walks is that big a deal. I can uh, because my stuff can get hitters out uh, if they're aggressive." It sounded like he was saying, but. Am I misinterpreting him as saying, I don't think walks are as big a deal as the Reds think they are? And if so, what was that all about? It's tough to say because the context is missing of the question. Now, if Robert Stevenson is saying that, you know, walking three or four guys over eight innings isn't a concern, I could agree with him there. If Robert Stevenson is saying that his current walk rate in AAA isn't a concern, it's over six batters per nine innings, that's a concern. But without the context of the question yeah. of like where they were in the conversation, it's really tough to say exactly what he was responding to with that quote. Um, there, there were some things that concerned me a little bit there, but again, without the context, it's tough to really know sure. exactly what he was trying to say. And unfortunately, we don't have the we don't have access to the entire interview. Yeah, and the way it read uh, we, on the we, page, it was yeah, it was we, odd. We've got, we've got four sentences, yeah. and they probably spent ten minutes talking. So, it, it, it's. Well, let me ask you to give me the list of successful starting pitchers in the history of the major leagues who walked more than six batters per nine innings. Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson, but they both became successful after they stopped walking six guys per nine innings. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and again, I'm not in the position. I had hoped that we saw a little bit of progress from Stevenson at the end of last year. I had hoped that Robert Stevenson would be in the big leagues this year, and I had hoped that he would be in possession of him or Reed. I'm a big Cody Reed fan, although I'm, I'm starting to lose a little bit of, a little bit of hope. But uh, I thought Stevenson would would grab that spot in spring training after what he did last year, and uh, or early in the season after the Reds needed to call someone up. And he's just not done that. And he's just he just has to throw strikes. He's just, he's just going to have to throw strikes more consistently because his stuff won't play unless he throws strikes. I think you pointed it out somewhere. I'll, I'll sort of prompt you here to tell me your full thoughts on it. That. Uh, he can get minor league hitters out with his stuff, but the best hitters in the world are not going to chase all that nonsense. Uh, am I misquoting you? Well, first off, how dare you put me on the spot? But no, no, I don't. I don't think so. I'm. I mean, I, I know I've said that before to someone somewhere, so I probably did say it somewhere to you as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty simple. When Robert Stevenson throws strikes, generally he's going to get guys out no matter what level he's at. Um, I, his fastball is his worst pitch, but he's got three off-speed pitches, and all of them can be above average or better. But when he falls behind hitters, they can sit on the fastball, and he doesn't throw nearly as hard as he used to. And when you're 93 to 95, 
major league guys can absolutely crush that. And when you're behind and they know you're going to throw it, they don't miss very often. So he's got to be able to stop falling behind guys. And I, I just I, I don't see that happening nearly enough right now. Major league hitters are too good to consistently expand the strike zone. Yeah, that's just that's just how it is. And, you know, if this were 1980, things might be different because guys had a very different game plan back then. They were simply just trying to put the bat on the ball, most of them at least, make contact and see what happens. Guys don't do that anymore. Oh, I mean, some guys do. We've got a few in our lineup. But <laughs> most guys have a better plan of attack. So much they're information and so much knowledge these days. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible how much information that you can get these days on a pitcher. I mean, you know, we've had the, the pitch effects and the track man, stat cast, all of that stuff in the major leagues now for, oh, I think it's been 11 years. They started in 2007. Um, they've got that stuff in the minor leagues now, too. Now, the fans don't get access to it, but the teams all have access to that information. So even guys that are called up these days, they can get that exact same kind of stuff on a guy that they've never seen before. Wow. So there, there is no, this guy's going to surprise us with what he's got. Now, maybe he hides the ball well, and that's not something you can pick up in the numbers. But they know what you're throwing. <laughs> they know how the tendencies of which you like to throw it. They know how hard you throw. They know what angles it's coming. Like, it's incredible. Guys are too, there's too much information out there, and guys are too good now for you to try and get away with that kind of stuff anymore. Well, to circle it back around to Robert Stevenson, in my, uh, it's prediction time. Will Robert Stevenson... Red's uh, perennial number one pitching prospect for years. Will Robert Stevenson ever start 15 more games for the Reds in his career? 15 games in a season or 15 games total? I'm saying 15 games total beginning now. Will he start for the Reds in 15 more games? I know the answer, but I'm going to see what you say. This is a really tough question. It's your exam, my, Doug Gray of RedsMinorLeagues.com. I, I, I know, it really is. I, my gut wants to say yes. My, my heart or my head wants to say no. You're going to have to pick and, one. And I, I'll explain my, 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 my reasons here. Pitchers get hurt, so there's going to be opportunity there, which means that he might get them. But I think that if he doesn't get them this year, then he may not get them again. Okay, you're being wishy-washy. Is your answer I, yes I, or no? I, 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 so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with no. Oh, that is the correct answer. Wow, he, the correct answer. Robert Stevens will not start. He's going to start precisely two more games for the Cincinnati Reds. That's that's the actual correct answer. I, I'll take the over on two. All right. Well, you've got. We have some nice parting gifts for you. Well, that that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy parting gifts rather than just parting. There so. you go. Exactly. Well, we're going to part here in a little bit. But first, let's get back to these current-day Cincinnati Reds. Two guys in the uh, lineup that I want to talk to you about. Actually, three guys. Let's try to run through them quickly because I'm sort of fascinated by all three of these. Uh, and Votto, Joey Votto is not one of them. Joey Votto, although we probably should get into a little bit of his comments. Uh, maybe we'll finish up with that in a moment. But how good is Eugenio Suarez? Very oh. We can move on to the next question now. <laughs> He's amazing. Doug Gray of RedsMinorLeagues.com. He is amazing. Chad Dotson of RedLegNation.com <laughs> and many other publications where you do side work. 
he is amazing. And I cannot believe that he signed the contract he did. And I'm not saying he should fire his agent, but he should be asking questions. Some, I don't see this out of Suarez because he's a happy-go-lucky guy and he wanted that security. And I understand why he signed that contract, but he may look up in a couple of years and say, wow, I undersold myself by millions. Tens of millions. Ten million dollars? Yes. Sorry. Um, okay, so Suarez is great. That's all we need to say on him. Tucker Barnhart. You know, you look at Tucker Barnhart's line this year and gold glove winner last year, so the defense is there. He's hitting. And, you know, again, we're 40 games into the season, but I'm extremely impressed with what we've gotten from Tucker Barnhart so far this year. Yeah, I, you know, you look, he's hitting 274. I think that generally speaking, that's about what we expected. Yeah. He's got a 370 on base percentage. Maybe a little bit better than we expected. Yeah, but, a little you know, bit, but not, not much. He, he's a guy who's generally in his career. But. Had a good walk, good walk rate, yeah. good strikeout rate. Get to the he's next hitting, line. He's hitting for more power. That's the he's difference. Slugging, he's, he's slugging 444 right now, which, you know, when you're hitting 274, that, that's that's a 170 point difference. That's that's pretty darn good. And Tucker's never really shown that before. He has 13 extra base hits. I mean, in, in, in 37 games. In 37 games, you look at uh, Adam Duvall uh, with uh, you know 20 uh, more plate appearances has 16, and Duvall that's all his value is wrapped up in his power. So yeah. it's just uh, it's. I, I mean, Eugenio Suarez, the guy we were just gushing over. Granted, he's played a few less games because he was injured for those two weeks. But it's not like Tucker still, plays every day as a catcher. Yeah, Suarez has 15 extra base hits. I mean, I mean, and Suarez is, as we just said, amazing. Yeah. Is Tucker Barnhart, I guess the question here, Tucker Barnhart hitting at this level with the defense that he provides, which we say, we can say gold glove defense because he literally won the gold glove last year as a 26-year-old. I've this, seen it. Yes, exactly. This may be his peak, but he's like got to be a top two, three catcher in the league right now, in the National League right now with these numbers. Wouldn't you think? It's got to be close, right? I mean, what what are what are your other options? I mean, Buster Posey. I mean, you know, he's generally considered yeah. the best catcher in the National League. He's and, good. Uh, he had a big hit against the Reds one year. Do you remember that in the playoffs? No, I do not remember okay. it, Chad. It did not happen. Sorry, I forgot. Sorry for yelling. <laughs> but the point about Tucker is maybe this is his peak, but it's a higher peak than anyone could have reasonably expected. And, uh, you know, another guy that's been on the podcast a couple times, uh, great kid, uh, hard worker, and just goes out there and gets better and works hard. And I just, I don't know, I've become a huge fan of Tucker Barnhart. And if he can hit with any kind of power like this the rest of the way, wow. Um, there's one other uh, position player I want to talk to you about, Doug. And you you may know where I'm going with this one. Yeah, maybe not. There's a, There are different, there are great storylines at every position in this Reds lineup, but it's, uh, we do need to talk about Ryan Jeanette. Ryan. Oh, that's, it's not ringing a bell. Not, not ringing a bell. Does he maybe have a nickname? Uh, I don't know. Oh, wait a minute. Let, me, let me flip through this book I have here. The big 50, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. I oh, I see. Yes. Okay. He does have a nickname. Scooter. Oh yeah. That, what, what chapter of the book is that? Good. Oh, I knew you were going to call me on that. I think it's 39. I'm 99% sure it's chapter 39. And and what did he do? <laughs> he hit four home runs in one game. Is that good? 
It ain't bad, Doug Gray. Okay. I was just checking. <laughs> All right. Scooter is probably the most divisive player in uh, that passionate Reds fan base we were talking about a moment ago. And for good reason. Scooter has some amazing strengths and some very glaring weaknesses. He He's kind of like the Adam Dunn in some ways. Uh, that's an imperfect comparison, but just in the sense of what he does well, he does really well. What he doesn't do well, he does really poorly. Uh, he hit his his slash line this year, 327 average, 363 on base, 528 slugging, seven homers again, 11 doubles. I mean, those are good numbers on their surface. And you got to say, wow, this is a guy we need to keep around. Flip side is he's probably the worst defensive second baseman in the league, um, and he can't hit left-handers at all. But is Scooter Genev showing us enough that we need to – take seriously the uh, the idea that he might be able to stick around for the next, I don't know, you know, say two, three years? What do you think? I, I wouldn't keep him around, and I think that it's more so, well, one, he's only under contract through the end of next year. Right. So you, you've, you've got one and a half years left. So it, with the way he's playing, you're not going to get two or three more years, because you'd have to extend him for much longer than that. Uh, or he's got the worst agent in the world. Like, let's, if, coming off the years he's coming off of, there's no way that any agent would tell him, yeah, let's sign a one- or two-year deal. Like, that just wouldn't make sense. But with where the Reds are and who they've got in their farm system at the position that Scooter Jeanette plays, regardless of the fact that he's very good, especially offensively, it's a tough sell for me. It, it, it's tough to make that make sense for the Cincinnati Reds. Well, what about this? He, if Nick Senzel's not in the equation the Reds' top prospect who's going to be a second baseman in the big leagues, assuming he uh, gets past his vertigo issues, which he's, he should soon. How much of that is because Nick Senzel is waiting in the wings? I think there's a lot of that, but it's not like they still don't have other good options. You know, Alex Blandino has shown himself quite well over the past month. Indeed. Behind him, you've got Dilson Herrera, who, you know, he, he got DFA'd in the spring. But I mean, over the last month, he's hitting three twenty three. He's always he's showing, hit. He's showing power. He looks healthy again. And you're right. He's always hit. And the only position he can really play is second base. Shed Long's in double A hitting very well. That's my guy. Also plays second base. The, the Reds have options at second base, even outside of Nick Senzel. Okay. Scooter Jeanette, I, I, I like what the guy's doing. I think he's great for Cincinnati Reds baseball, both on and off the field. But as far as baseball decisions go... You're going to have to extend him into his 30s. The Reds aren't the kind of team that need to be extending players into their 30s. But Okay. That's absolutely, uh, I could not have uh, said it better. I mean, that's, that's my feel, Those are my feelings on the subject. But as I said to uh, James Rapine, I think both of us talked to James Rapine today at ESPN 1530. Um, I'm not sure that Scooter Jeanette has a whole lot of value. And you look at that slash line, like how can a, a 28-year-old second baseman hitting like this not have more value, but I'm still not convinced he has a ton of value on the trade market. Am, am I wrong, or uh, is, there, is there a possibility that someone would be – maybe somebody needs a second baseman? I think there's definite trade possibilities out there. Uh, you know, the, the guy can hit. And with the way that baseball is now, you can hide defenders, even even infielders, a little bit better than you used to be able to. You You can make up for some of the deficiencies. But – I don't think you're necessarily entirely wrong. I think that a situation like Seattle's dealing with right now, with Robinson Cano being on the disabled list and suspended, 
and in a situation where they're in the they're in the playoff race right now. Now, granted, it's it's May 18th, so take that for what it's worth. But Robinson Cano cannot play in the playoffs this year if they make it. Scooter Jeanette can, and offensively at least, I mean, right now they're kind of comparable. Now, you just compared he, Scooter Jeanette to Robinson Cano. I, I know it sounds crazy, but <laughs> again, crazy. Scooter, Scooter Jeanette's got an 891 OPS right now. I mean, it, it is what it is right now, right this second. They're kind of comparable offensively. Yeah. I, I would hope I, that maybe Jeanette's uh, value on the trade market might be bolstered a little bit by uh, the fact that you could have him for a year and a half if you trade for him this year, because they do have a con- team would have control over him for next year as well. But also there's no real long-term commitment either as you start getting into his 30s. So maybe you can get the best part of his uh, the rest of his career and uh, he could help a team that wants to win right now. I mean, I guess I could see and, that he would have value in and, that sense. And, and, and at least for this season, he doesn't make any money. Yeah. I mean, he's making less than $6 million this year, and that's not even counting what he's already been paid for the, what he's played this season. Now, I think he's probably going to get a significant raise in the offseason in arbitration. But, I mean, even so, he's going to get, what, 10 or $11 million tops? I mean, that's that's still nothing for the production you're getting. In the same sense, you said he makes less than $6 million and he's not making anything. Well, and that in, hurt, in terms of me, baseball. It makes me hurt. And it's true. It's true in terms of baseball, isn't it? It, it is. I, I, I wish that I Did we lose you, Doug? Lost you for a second there, Doug Gray. Well, you know, but we were talking about how Scooter Jeanette's making a lot of money. Let's move on to the pitching before we can wrap this thing up here. And the guy I really want to talk about is, well, I want to talk about all these guys: Tyler Malley, Luis Castillo, Sal Romano. I'm in love with those guys. But uh, Homer Bailey, Homer Bailey uh, gave up. You know, he, he's struggling in, in, in the opener against the Cubs. He is one and five with a five point five nine ERA. He's thirty two years old. At what point is it time to cut bait on Homer Bailey? It's easier for me and you to cut bait on Homer Bailey than for the Reds to cut bait on Homer Bailey. But I think that both sides, both our side and the red side, it's gotta be coming close, right? Yeah, you know, and you're right. He's been around for a long time. Number one draft pick, uh, the big contract. I, I, I tried to make the case earlier this week that maybe a way the Reds can thread this needle is when Anthony DiSclefani gets back. If Anthony DiSclefani ever gets back, maybe we transition Horbetti to the bullpen, and maybe there's a path where he could be a good reliever, and that would allow the Reds to get some value out of this contract. And, uh, I don't know, a little more gracefully, I guess. What do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that the Reds would just outright cut him. Oh, I, no, I think no, they'd no. definitely give the bullpen a shot first and kind of see what happens there. I just think it might be and, coming and, close to that point. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. And uh, maybe if DiScalfani ever does come back, like you said, that would be a perfect opportunity to make that happen. And it, it's certainly possible that, in in situations where Homer Bailey can go out there and just throw for one inning, maybe two innings, he can be one of those guys that just lets it go. And, you know, the decline in velocity that he's had since he's had multiple arm surgeries won't be as much of a factor because he knows he's going out there and throwing 30 pitches instead of 100. Yeah, 
Yeah, some of his off-speed stuff, some of his, uh, I think the change-up in the, uh, I think the slider, I'm now misremembering what I, what I looked at earlier, but it's not been awful, I guess. But his fastball, really, his four-seam fastball has just fallen off the cliff, and uh, not necessarily in terms of velocity, although his velocity's down. He's just not getting swings and misses. I don't know. It's just a different pitch than it was. So you wonder if he could have a little bit of the uh, Amir Garrett effect, where he, and a lot of other guys, not just Amir Garrett, but where he could air it out a little bit, gain it uh, two or three miles an hour on his fastball even, and it makes him a different pitcher if his fastball is working. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he, he showed some flashes last year when he came back after the injury that he might be the guy, not the guy that he used to be, but the guy that could be dependable, a, a four or five starter. And I'm just not seeing a whole lot of that this year. And I hate it because I love Homer Bailey, uh, one of my favorite players, but is what it is. I mean, at this point, he's 32. He has one more year on that contract. He's making $21 million this year. And I shouldn't even mention that because that's the, what everyone always says. Every time I talk about Homer Bailey, how much he's making. I don't care. Homer Bailey earned that contract. It's not worked out, but it is what it is. But at some point, the Reds may have to look for a different solution. And what I'm concerned about is, I'm concerned about maybe putting it to, uh, that, that may not be the right term, but I can just see a scenario where they send Tyler Malley to AAA to continue the uh, service time manipulation game when Anthony DiScofani gets back instead of moving Homer Bailey to the bullpen. And if that happens, I'm probably going to be frustrated. I'm just going to warn I you will, right now. I, I, I'm with you. And I, I only say that because I think that he's outpitched Sal Romano at this point. And to send Tyler down instead of Sal... I, and it, that's not anything against Sal Romano, who I think you know, I, I I know that I've been the the highest guy on Sal Romano pretty much forever. Um, but he's of the guys, the, the four guys that we're talking about that could be sent down or moved into whatever role. Sal's clearly the guy <laughs> that hasn't picked like the rest of them. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm like you. I love me some Sal Romano. I think he just got better and better and better last season. He's still just 24. I I, I love Sal Romano. But when you're talking about Homer Bailey, Tyler Malley, Luis Castillo, and Sal Romano, and you look at just this year's numbers, Malley's been better than any of them, in my opinion. Uh, you know, higher strikeout rate than all of them except for Castillo. Uh, and even that's – I mean, they've, they've yes. got the same amount of strikeouts. It's with, roughly the same with Malley and Castillo. Yeah. Yeah, he's – Tyler's pitched one and a third innings more when they've got the same amount of strikeouts. I mean, it's – they've been the same guy outside yeah. of three hits – one walk? Yeah. And and, and, <laughs> yeah. Malley, and Malley's two years younger than Castillo, who was dominant last year. So those right. two guys, to me, are untouchables, if, if you're asking me, and no no one is. Romano. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, Chad. Who's untouchable? You. Tyler Malley and Luis Castillo. Okay. And Luis Alberto Bonilla. Oh, Sal, Rom <laughs> Sal Romano. <laughs> it's about time to wrap this one up, Doug. Sal Romano, I think, should be untouchable in the sense that I don't want to see him get sent down either. I think he's doing enough to, he's a young pitcher. He's struggling some. He's also showing uh, some, some good, nice things. He's got to learn to get big league hitters out at some point. He's 24. I don't send him down either. I don't see any reason to send any of those three down. And so your questions are going to be, if Di Sclafani comes back, Di Sclafani's in your starting rotation, period. Full stop, end of story. Di Sclafani, if he's healthy, and he's never healthy, but if he is, is a great pitcher. So it's between Homer Bailey and Matt Harvey. 
And it's going to be, do we go with Homer Bailey, who's making all this money, or do we go with Matt Harvey, who we're trying to rehabilitate and maybe flip for something? And it's going to be a really interesting situation if everyone's healthy when D. Scalfani gets back. It's going to be an interesting decision that the Reds have to make. Will they make the right decision? I mean, I, I, to me, I, there's an obvious answer there, and I feel like you also have the obvious answer. It is obvious. It, it, it's got to be Homer Bailey. It has to be. Even over Matt Harvey. I'm, I'm, I'm so yeah. surprised we're saying it's obvious, but it is obvious. Yeah, it, if, if Matt Harvey weren't a free agent at the end of this season and the Reds' whole plan in acquiring Matt Harvey wasn't right. to flip him, maybe we're having a different conversation. But that's not the situation that's at hand. It's really not. And I just I can't justify keeping Homer Bailey at age 32. And I feel like I have to keep saying it. I love Homer. He's a great – he's one of my favorite players really ever in, in my life, uh, for better or for worse. And, again, we devoted a chapter to his two no-hitters in the Big 50, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. He's, uh, he's a fun story in some ways and also a sad story. Uh, I, but I just don't see how he doesn't lose out in that sort of conflict if it comes to that. And it may not come to that. You never know. But here, here's my last question on that topic. If they send down Myler, Myler. Myler, Myler Tolly. Uh-huh. If they send out Tyler Molly or Sal Romano when Di Scafani gets back, what's your reaction going to be to that decision? Uh, I'll be very confused. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I'll be very confused. I'll be confused all year. Cliff Pennington over Alex Blandino? Giovanni Gallardo? Over anyone? Over anyone and everyone? <laughs> yeah, confusion. <sighs> All right, well, one last topic I want to bring up, and if there's anything else you want to talk about, we will, but it's uh, Roselle Iglesias. Roselle Iglesias is, I think, as good a pitcher as I've seen with the Reds since Johnny Cueto. I'm not being silly anymore. Uh, just in terms of, t- of sheer stuff, and I just think I love Iglesias. Rez probably need to trade him, don't they? I don't know, Chad. I really don't. <laughs> I really, I'll say that, and I, I'm really not sure of it either. If if he's got four years left on his contract, and he's good, and, and he he's better than good. That's true. He is. He he's an elite relief pitcher. In the next two years of his contract, and I hate to, we're going to go down this road again. Yeah. They're next to nothing. Yes. He's making nothing, and it's he's making. I think. Just over five million dollars the next two seasons in each season, but you know, for a baseball player, that's nothing. And if if the Reds feel that they can legitimately compete in two or three years, do you do you really want to trade Rysel Iglesias? And I, I understand where people are coming from because some people are going to say, "Well, what's the point in having a closer when your team is this bad?" And they're right, but this isn't the only year he's available. Now, at the same time. He's probably the most valuable trade chip they've got. That's by the poor. Is he it, overvalued it, as a closer, I guess? And, and will that bring more on the trade market? I, I don't know. <laughs> so, some Sometimes, guys, I, I feel that teams pay through the nose for, for relievers. But it just seems that for whatever reason, every so often, it doesn't happen that way. And... Maybe it's just me and seeing how 
things have worked out for the Reds. I just get the feeling that somehow, some way, they'd be the one situation where right. it, it's they didn't get what you thought they should get. Yeah. This is a situation where whatever the Reds choose to do, I'm probably not going to be able to argue with it. If they choose to keep him, he's a great pitcher. I, I love Rizal Iglesias. No issues whatsoever with him. He's fantastic, and I can't wait to watch him for the next few years. If they choose to trade him, I can see a scenario where he would bring – some guys that could be big league ready now. I mean, uh, team players that could help the team now. Multiple players that could help the team immediately. And so you can see how, if some team overvalues him, how he could bring back players that would help boost this uh, so-called rebuild. And the reason why I wouldn't be necessarily opposed is, I look at the Reds' bullpen, and let me tell you what I see. Jared Hughes, Amir Garrett, Austin Bryce, Wandy Peralta, all of whom have been inferior to Iglesias this year, although they haven't all been bad, but they've all been inferior to Rosel Iglesias. Those four guys have all pitched more innings than Rosel Iglesias this year. Iglesias is the best pitcher. I think he could hold some real value for this team if they would go with him two, three innings, pitch him in high leverage situations. He's been basically just a, a regular garden variety closer, 19 games, 20 innings. And so if the Reds aren't going to use him more creatively and he can bring more on the trade market, I'm all for it. If they start to use him like Andrew Miller, then I want that guy, and I want him here for the next few years. Does that, any of that make sense? Yes. Now, I'll, I'll counter with this much. Because he's got four years left on his deal, they don't have to trade him now, and they that means that the Reds have all the leverage in these situations. It's true. They can ask for they, a haul. They they really can't, and if they, if it's not there this year, then so be it. His value's still going to be extremely high for the next two years plus. Yeah, I Good mean point. they they'll still be able to ask for pretty much anything they want to. No and, urgency, and, and and it be realistic, assuming that he keeps pitching the way he has. Yeah, I agree. Now, when it when it comes to the innings, I I don't know because I don't know who the Reds' next manager is going to be. The front office that's in place right now had nothing to do with either one of the people that have managed the Cincinnati Reds this year. Now, granted, they could have put somebody else in place of Jim Riggleman, but I understand why they went with Riggleman in, in the situation they're in. Sure. But Riggleman wasn't brought in by any of these guys. He was brought in as the bench coach by Walt Jockety. Yeah, although do we need to finish up here by saying Jim Riggleman gets all the credit for the Reds playing well lately? No, it's the Matt Harvey era. How dare you? <laughs> I think a bunch of people said it, but we certainly said it after, uh, not to completely shift off that topic, because you're absolutely right about Iglesias, and I think the leverage the Reds will have, it's not limited. We're not bearing down on the trade deadline. But can we just say this? The Reds were very likely to have played better under Brian Price. They could not have continued to play that poorly under Brian Price. And so Riggleman does not get all the credit for this uh, turnaround. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I actually tweeted something out about this a couple, it's probably a week ago or so, but, you know, Brian Price had Scooter Jeanette, the 652 OPS hitter. Jim Riggleman's had the guy that's been OPSing over 1,000. That's not because Jim Riggleman did something special. That was just Scooter Jeanette turning into the guy that he's been for the last year and a half. He had a, he had a slump in April. That happens. And Joey Votto, same. Yeah, Jim Riggleman, he hasn't had to deal with Eugenio Suarez missing two weeks. Jim Riggleman... He's had the benefit of having a much healthier bullpen. I mean, 
He he walked in and he got Dylan Floro, who shocking to just about everybody, has been absolutely dominant in the bullpen. Yeah. He got David Hernandez back. Um, I he he's got a diff, he's got a very different team. Yeah. He's got a much healthier team. He's got the team that the Reds thought they were going to come out of spring training with. And I mean, even for as as rough as April was, the Reds weren't actually three and fifteen bad. Right. I mean, even with the players that they had that weren't exactly the guys that they were hoping for, they weren't three and fifteen bad. It just happened to work out that way. Well, the flip side of that, though, and I'm no fan of Jim Riggleman and his bunts, um, but the flip side is it's really interesting to note that almost immediately after Brian Price's dismissal as manager of the Reds, a guy like Alex Blandino is in the lineup. He's playing more. He's, he's producing more. Guys like Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin are gone. Uh, it makes me wonder how much the fact that Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin were on this roster and Alex Mandino not, how much of that was Brian Price? Maybe he had more influence than we thought on the roster I, construction. I'm 100% in agreement. But at the same time, that also makes me wonder. Granted, I've never worked in the front office before. I doubt I ever will. Um, but yeah, How do you give that? Uh, yeah, how, how do you let that happen? Yeah. Like, you should be setting the roster. And you're right. I mean, as soon as Brian Price was gone, so was basically every questionable player on the roster that uh, you and I were sitting here wondering, why is this guy on the roster over whoever, depending on who we're talking about? Like, it it seemed very obvious to all of us that those guys were not a part of the best 25 players, or even close to it. And yet, they were getting significant playing time over players that should have been playing instead of them. It ra- it, it's, a, it's a weird yeah. situation. It, it really was. And, it, and we don't know all the ins and outs. We're not behind closed doors, but it does raise some, some questions. About the front office's handling of this, uh, this roster that we've been questioning all year. Um, Blandino, we knew what Blandino was. you know. And even if you think he's, his, his ceiling is as a sort of utility guy, I, I don't know how anyone could believe that Alex Bandino would not be better than Cliff Pennington or Phil Goslin this year. I mean, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how you look at the – when you talk about all the knowledge that teams had this year, I don't know how you look at it and make that determination. So, man, there's something going on in that Reds front office with, uh, that I just don't, I don't understand. And, and they haven't hired me yet either. And uh, if they want to hire me, I'll quit talking bad about them. But um, until then, I'm off the call like I see it, and I just I, I, don't, I don't get it. So – Right, well, anyway. I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball out here real quick. We didn't talk about this, but I feel that it's it's on topic for this situation. The Reds promoted Nick Crawl to general manager last week. We should have mentioned and, that, yes. And and one of the things that was mentioned is that he was going to have more decision-making power or input. I don't remember the exact way they worded it, but basically that he was going to have more input in the decisions that were being made. Now, he just came from being the assistant general manager, so that was kind of weird to me that – Somehow, like, he didn't have much input in the organization as an assistant general manager right. who's been in the organization for 16 years now, I think. Um, but he's one of the big analytics guys. Yeah. Like, d- did that happen because, you know, maybe Bob Castellini kind of looked back at things and said, hey, um, why are all these bad players playing bad? <laughs> and he started remembering things that maybe Nick had brought up and said maybe we shouldn't do this, but they did it anyways? Or was it something else? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I, know. Really ha- I really have no idea. But you know, being the, quote-unquote, one of the big analytics guys in the organization, 
And yeah. you know, as you as you just said, it seems like a lot of these decisions they were making went contrary to what all the analytics said. You know, does that have something to do with why this happened? We don't know, but the timing of it is fascinating. You know, if if this was the succession plan all along, and that William Dick Williams was going to move up to director of baseball operations and crawl, or someone take over, I mean, doing it in the middle of May, come on, you're not going to get me to believe that that was the plan. Uh, yeah, that stuff yeah. happens in the off season. So something happened. We'll never know. We will never know what happened. Probably behind the scenes, but something happened somewhere. To cause this change. Now. Go ahead. I have another theory on that. Let's hear it. And uh, Nick Kroll was listed as vice president, comma, assistant general manager. I know what you're going to say, and I think this is a good theory. And and, and in baseball, when you have the vice president designation, basically that's just there to protect the team that you work for from having you stolen away by another team. Um, There are certain protections that are in place, and I'm not entirely sure how they work exactly. But another team just can't come in and offer you a job and take you away. I'm wondering if maybe somebody didn't approach the Reds about Nick Kroll and say, hey, we would like to offer him a job or whatever. And this was their way of keeping him in the organization. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. And, and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Nick Kroll, listen, I like Dick Williams. and I, He has barely been on, on the job very long. And I'd have questioned some of the things they've done this year. But I'm, I'm still on board Dick Williams' uh, bandwagon. In a lot of ways, but 18 months ago, we had this big red leg, red leg nation get together at River at Riverfront Stadium. I literally, Riverfront. I literally you said, said River, it. <laughs> Riverfront you did. Stadium. Oh, it's getting late. Uh, at uh, Great American Ballpark, and uh, one of the guys that uh, came to speak to our group there very graciously was Nick Crawl, and I think probably no one impressed the group more than Nick did. Just with his knowledge, his passion, his uh, analytical bent. And when I heard he got the job, my first thought was, whoa, I hope he has decision-making uh, you know, authority. Because I think, he's, I, mean, I think he's the real deal. I think he's a real analytics guy. I think he gets it, for, for lack of a better term. And, uh, and, and I, I can be happy about this change because I like Nick Crawl and I don't know him personally other than just meeting him that day and uh, you know uh, I guess we've emailed back and forth a few times over the years but really I don't know him um, but what I do know of him I'm very impressed and uh, so I think that's the best case scenario some other team came sniffing and they said we're going to promote this guy to keep him from leaving and uh, if that's the case I think and he has legitimate decision-making authority I think it could be a, a big positive for the Reds. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they've been pushing this. You know, we're we're getting more analytic, eh, more analytical thing over the past couple of years, and I believe they have. I, I've seen some things oh, change. Sure. Um, I mean, just yeah, I mean, I've seen some things behind the scenes, minor league wise, that they didn't used to do. Sure. So I'm sure they're doing a lot more at the major league level, where it's a lot more valuable than it is in the minor leagues. Um, and you know, a lot of teams are going to this situation where they've got a president of baseball operations which is what dick williams is now and a general manager and the president of baseball operations kind of oversees the long-term view of what the organization wants to do whereas the gm kind of more handles the day-to-day kind of things player moves uh, roster moves you know things like that and i mean maybe this is going to be something that works out very well for the reds because of that um you know, Dick, giving, Dick Williams has give, shown some real capacity for looking at the long view in terms of what he's done with the, 
changes to the minor league system and the you know nutrition and the facilities and things like that. So yeah, you're right. Maybe it'll work. Yeah, you know it's Dick Williams for all the things that I think he does well. Dick Williams isn't a quote unquote baseball guy. He's never been a scout. He's never really been you know he's never worked on the field with the players anything like that like he he's very honest and open about that that that's not his strength and he's open to analytics but he's not from that world whereas nick crawl is that guy nick has been working in the in baseball since i think 2001 um he's done scouting work he's done the analytics analytics work maybe this is just a better fit for what dick williams is very good at and what Nick is very good at, and kind of divvying up these responsibilities is going to be much better than the way they were, even though both guys were still kind of in similar jobs to what they were what they're in now yeah no i think you're I think you're right, I think that's a real reason for maybe it's the seven seven out of nine wins that the Reds have hey, we're trying to stay positive guys maybe, we're, we're looking for the bright side I like it, I like it. All right, that's probably a place to to stick a pin in this one. Although I do want to say quickly, we didn't talk about this ahead of time. We used to we especially during the off season when we weren't watching as much baseball, we do a movie a quick movie review. So our Red Lake Nation Radio movie review tonight. I, I'm just going to mention one real quick. Now, and if you want to mention one, you're welcome to. But I got to say, I, I went to see this movie, A Quiet Place, recently, and uh, oh my goodness. That movie is fantastic. I, I, I didn't see that coming. I don't really like that genre as much. It's not really horror as much as it's sort of suspense thriller. But directed by John Krasinski, that guy from The Office, and just it is beautifully shot. It is extremely well made in terms of how it builds up to all the suspense. And uh, essentially, there are these creatures that are hunting families, and, and it's about Krasinski and his family. Emily Blunt is his wife. And uh, they, they're forced to hide in silence because the, the, these creatures can't see, but they can hear really well. And it's really just amazing. So, Doug, I don't know if you've seen it yet. If you haven't, you really need to go see A Quiet Place. I give it four and a half stars out of five, and it's that good. That's that's high praise. Uh, it, 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 it's looked really good. I, I like John Krasinski a lot. It's a huge, huge Office fan. Yeah. but. Um, I, I have not seen it yet, and during baseball season, I unfortunately don't get to watch hardly anything. That's so it, it might it might be a while until I get out there and see something. But I, I will put it on my list. Do that, and the next time we talk, be prepared because we're going to talk movies uh, very briefly again. All right, All right. this is uh, Red Leg Nation Radio. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for downloading. Uh, you can find us at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast, you'll find us. I ask you every week, and I probably ought to ask it at the beginning because no one's listening at this point, but go leave us a review. A rating. It does help other people find us, and we continue to find that more people are listening every week and really appreciate it to the point that people are really just hammering me when we're one day late. You can find Doug at DougDirt2024. Yes. At DougDirt24 on Twitter. You can find me at Dotson C. Go to at RedLegNation on Twitter. Uh, you can go to RedLegNation.com on uh, the interwebs. And of course, we're Facebook, Instagram. Snapchat, wherever you want to look for uh, Red League Nation, we're there, and we're following the Reds, as we have for 14 consecutive seasons, and I hope you'll stick with us through this uh, season that's starting to look a little bit better. Um, Doug, I cannot say how much I enjoy talking to you. Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks for having me on. I really do enjoy talking baseball with you and anybody else, but 
really just you. Ah, uh, that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> For Doug Gray of RedsMinorLeagues.com, go there every day to check out what's going on in the Reds Minor Leagues. This is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.